Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. Really excited about this episode, and I can't tell you how excited I am because one of the very first episodes we did was with Esben Kane from the CISO of Steward Health. I was just telling him before we started recording that it was one of my all-time favorite episodes and that I still quote him as saying, shortcuts have sharp edges. And really excited because this is a bookend kind of episode for us. When we started this podcast, we were talking to Esmond about what it was like to be a CISO at the beginning of COVID. And now we're talking to Esmond again about what it's like to be a CISO as we start to come out of COVID. And I think it's, you know, the way that the world has evolved is so fascinating. So Esmond, welcome back. Maybe tell everybody a little bit about yourself if people haven't gone all the way back and listened to the first episodes. And uh, good to see you again, man. Good seeing you. Congratulations on your continued success. And hopefully you're out there getting the vax and, and other kinds of things. So we can all enjoy and maybe meet up at some point. Yeah, we were, we were just talking about DEF CON and Black Hat. Maybe not this year, but but hopefully in the future. Yeah, I hope. Uh, so if people aren't familiar, I, I work for a, a multinational healthcare organization called Steward Healthcare. We're in about uh, nine states in the U.S. and in about three international locations as well. We, we kind of focus on that suburban healthcare hospital that prevents you having to go to that large urban plant. And certainly with what we just went through with COVID, you really want to avoid some of those densely populated areas. And the other aspect of that we had spoken last time was our staff, our workforce tends to be in the community that they're serving. So it's been both a, a blessing that they can help the community that they live, but also mixed blessing because they then have to go home. And, and that's been tough for, for some of our practitioners. But like you had said, there's light at the end of the tunnel, at least in the U.S., for those locations that are having success with their vaccination programs. Long may that continue, but certainly I think you will join me and everyone else with wishing some of the less fortunate locations that are less reached to to vaccines. And it's really tough watching what's going on in India right now. It's it's heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely. It really is. And, and Brazil before it. This is certainly, as much as we in the, in the sort of Western world like to celebrate, I don't think we're, I don't think we're anywhere near done with this. The challenges have shifted, but I think this is a long road for all of us. It is, but you know, also it's it's almost fortunate that we can start to think about life beyond COVID. What's at the end of the COVID rainbow, right? Certainly, there's there's a lot of cleanup. There's a lot of things that we had to accelerate through the pandemic, and now we got to back and clean them up. Got to remember the bad guys didn't give us a break. So, if you took some shortcuts, now you got to go back and, and make sure that you clean them up and rough down or burr down those those edges. I think we'll be dealing with this for, for years. There's also a lot of mental health issues and a lot of other kinds of domestic things that we're dealing with. There's also fortunate ones. You know, Hopefully you've been able to accelerate cloud adoption. I saw a report recently from HIMSS that some industries have accelerated their cloud adoption by seven years, right? The average is something like three years. So it's been a boon to cloud companies. And certainly if you look at some of their bottom lines, they're reporting it. But the bad guys, you won't give as much of a break and, and they'll start looking for those shortcuts pretty soon. Yeah. Well, and I think accelerating the things we've accelerated, like cloud adoption is a really wonderful example, but telehealth and some of the other things that you've probably had to really accelerate over the last year, they present an entirely new attack surface that, you know, the industry as a whole might not have caught up with yet. 
I would agree. I would agree. Uh, we were also talking before you hit record around IoT, right? If you look at the numbers, there's there's going to be something like 20, 30 billion of these devices in short order. And through the pandemic, we've adopted some of those technologies and we've put those in front of patients and the patients are using their phones to, to telehealth into their physicians and things of that nature. I hope we don't reverse that course. That's That's great. That's so nice to be able to talk to your doctor from the comfort of your home, not having to go into those big plants and sitting in a waiting room. It's so much more convenient just to sit there with your, your coffee and, and wait for your scheduled time. You know, there's also some benefits now that you've got those those applications on your phone. Maybe we can now start collecting some of that telemetry. There, there's other kinds of things that we can think about, Yeah. People who have listened to this have heard me talk often. I'm I'm a big wearable guy. I'm often connected to my phone in some sort of way that's gathering some telemetry that's useful from a health perspective. But I think, you know, one of the really interesting things, and we had a couple of episodes ago, we had Alyssa Knight on who had just done a paper on mobile health apps. And she looked at, with the permission of the vendors, 30 different mobile health apps. And in all 30 was able to exfil data out of them. And exfil not her own data, other patients' data. And 30 out of 30, massive vulnerabilities. And I think that the whole, you know, mobile apps have been a challenge for a while, but mobile health apps is kind of, like you said, we're moving very fast into that area. And I think that we're going to have to catch up on security development. And how do you monitor what's happening on that phone once that app is in the hands of that user? Yeah, I don't know when this this will get published, but we're not long after the 21st Century Cures Act being dropped. And, and with that became that reinforced federal mandate that patients have access to their data. It's their right. It's theirs, right? And Apple are pushing this with HealthKit and other kinds of platforms. And they've been pushing some of the the envelope when it comes to, to privacy. So I think it's, it's certainly a very interesting time across healthcare. That, uh, you know, we have real interesting opportunity to, to put some of that responsibility in the, the hands of the patients in a much more convenient way than has been to date. But also, as, as you'd indicated, there's, there's some risk. Not only have we had our adversaries weaponize some attacks through the pandemic, you know, in general, InfoSec has had to kind of adapt and focus on that patient care prerogative. And, and like we'd said, there'll be some cleanup that we need to get ahead of because the sad fact of life is, is the bad guys are out there and, and they're, they're moving very fast and they don't need to care about destabilizing platforms and, you know, destroying a mobile health app, you know, whereas that's something that a, a blue team member has to think about. We don't want to prevent a, a clinician from having access to, to data and being able to treat patients, but the bad guys don't care, right? They've, there's a quote from a gentleman called Seamus Heaney. He's an Irish poet. And he talked about we're surrounded with truth and risk, right? And the, the goal from a security perspective isn't necessarily to completely eliminate risk. It's really to manage it because risk is at the heart of being able to provide patient care, being able to expand business and, and put innovations in front of our, our patients. And, you know, what OCR has been advocating for for decades now is that we measure, we manage, and we mitigate. They chose to relax some of their enforcements through the pandemic, but at some point soon, they will 
relax that relaxation and all of a sudden now we'll be subject to that same enforcement that we were in the past. So, yeah, like I said, we're going to have some reversal, of course, to take. Yeah. Something that I'm sure is interesting to everybody listening. In your role, how do you prepare for that? How do you, in your organization and your other executive stakeholders, start to think about snapping some of those things back into place? It's a good question. I mean, you know, the first part of that is is you need to have a line of communication. You need to be able to talk to those practitioners that are frontline. And, you know, whether that's the board of directors or some of your business leads or IT leads, you need to know what the risk appetite is of your organization before you turn around and say, well, it's my way or the highway, right? You need to understand when an organization solves problems and what their tolerance for risk is. And hopefully through the pandemic, you you adopted solutions that, that are future-proof, that they weren't necessarily short-term. You know, that previous podcast that you you spoke to, you know, if you if you opened up a new target for exploitation, well, what did you think about closing down that target? You know, if you took a shortcut, how do you get back onto the, the, the longer road? It's about resilience. It's about being strategic as much as you're required to be tactical. It's also about just straight mental preparation. It's about perseverance. It's about looking at the the goal, the long term. It's about, you know, absorbing and adapting to that short term disruption. At least I hope it's short term. But hopefully you've adopted cloud and IT solutions that you can perpetuate and indeed maybe even improve your security solution. That's kind of certainly why I focused on it. You know, if you looked at, at, at a point solution, well, now can you unroll to, to something that you have available another vendor. Some of our vendors have been really good to us throughout this this pandemic. But, you know, the criminals aren't going to give us any leeway around exploiting these system vulnerabilities. I mean, we were talking very quickly about supply chain attacks, right? As much as ransomware was and phishing was, was the headline items through the first six, nine months of the pandemic, certainly the last three, four months have been ridden with, with Solar wind, sunburst, hafnium, you know, all these other kinds of attacks. It's its an interesting time to be involved in IT and in InfoSec. Well, and especially when it comes to attackers, success always breeds copycats, right? You know, I, I think the success of the three attacks you just mentioned is going to mean supply chain is going to be a conversation we're going to be having for at least the rest of this year. And, and it is a conversation, right? So it's never a good idea for your first introduction as a CISO to be to some of those thought leaders to be cleaning up, right? But, you know, it is our job to put that toothpaste back in the tube on occasion. But if you can be proactive, hopefully you've, you've, you've had that outreach and you've baked into things with your supply chain and procurement like proactive vendor risk assessment and a good contractual terms and conditions around contracts and legal liability and Maybe you're having conversations with your risk management and, and cyber insurance team around how to counter, you know, some of those ransomware threats. But as I was just saying, it's a terrible thing to do to be the no guy, right? If you show up and it's like, well, you shouldn't be doing this. It's it's like, you know, if you're growing a spine in the middle of an incident, you've failed, right? You, If you want to be the guy that says, go, stop being the guy that always says no. You know, it's the new normal is digital presence, it's it's some element of consumerization, it's it's cloud on everything. And, you know, having that, that proactive outreach, talking to those constituents, 
And, you know, having them come to you with, with simple questions is, is a great way to establish trust and, and build a relationship. I think the word trust is a really important one for, for the CISO to get anything done. It's not, you don't control the business. The business, you know, has to trust you and has to believe in you to, to, for your influence to work. And I know that that's something that you're particularly good at. It's a trite to say soft skills are important as a CISO, but how many times have you heard that? And then how many of all of our peers have, have challenges in those areas, right? We think that we, if we get the technology right and we say no enough that it's good enough. But to your point, especially in trying to clean up and move back, I think you're going to have to have the really great relationships with the rest of your organization. I would agree. There's an interesting time right now, not only where we deal with the pandemic, we were dealing with some societal unrest and it was certainly trying times, you know, but, you know, being adaptive, being flexible, being conscious of, of bias and focusing on some of those diversity measures, it's, it's been an interesting time. You know, there's there's a guy out there called Dan Gear. Dan was was famous for getting fired from At Stake for the software monoculture that I guess some of uh, At Stake and Semantics customers didn't like. But he talks about this this concept of of resilience, and he takes it to the nth level. He's a, he's a biological engineer by trade, and he deals with pandemics. That's what he deals with, right? That's that's what he trained in. Not software, not IT, not infosec, but but he talks about this concept of hybrid vigor, and how trying times and having these trials are are good for for the overall health, right? How you know having a diverse background. If if you have people that just grew up in IT or infosec, maybe they're blind to some of the risks that we're dealing with, and you know it's it's an interesting concept, and you know, I always like to hear Dan think, or at least think at his audience. So, you know, this journey we're all on to improve patient care and healthcare, it's not going to be a, a seamless road. It's, it's going to be a little bumpy. You know, the road ahead through, through the pandemic, maybe it'll be international focus. Maybe we'll continue focusing on some of the problems in, in the US and, and Europe. But it's great to, to see and, and tap into the mindset, that hive mind and what people have learned through this. It's certainly a great time for people like yourself to challenge and say, well, what is history going to look back on, right? You know, you might have had the best laid plan, but, you know, Bismarck said no plan survives first contact. So when it fell apart, what did you do, right? You know, I often think about that when I talk to my peers around ransomware. You might have had the best prepared plan ever, but, you know, what was your approach to be vigorous, to be resilient when the bad guys found that that and poked a hole in that armor? You know, it's it's interesting. Threat hunters are, are both a good thing and a bad thing. And, you know, these trying times, I, I think, will be good, hopefully, for information security. We, we didn't touch upon it, but there's about to be an executive order dropped, right? Yes. And that's yes, interesting. There is. Are you talking about that with some of your, your audience and, and other? Not one person that I've had on recently has talked about it. So I, let's talk about it. I, I think it's it's fascinating. We're starting to see real government movement in this way and and the FDA is being very vigorous lately they're you know they're out there and being very vocal and it's the first time in the, like the last few years at the very least that we've really seen strong regulatory action towards cybersecurity since perhaps the Obama executive order you know 12 years ago yeah i agree it's good to have those executives at that federal level leading and, and CISA has been doing a good job advising OCR and, and other kinds of ones the safe harbor bill in January, you know, which said that if healthcare adopts an acknowledged risk management framework, 
it should be considered by OCR if, if they're looking at any penalties. You know, that, that was a huge win. What I've seen of the executive order is it, it's going to be focused on some elements of incident response and coordination. Certainly, it, it'll, it'll move the needle on, on FISMA and FedRAMP. And when they do that, I mean, obviously, that'll be a huge gift to, to big tech. But, you know, big tech has some growth of its own to do. They've been conducting some horrendous abuses against privacy, right? As much as there's a growing appetite for, for legislation, California is about to, uh, to drop CCRA. The executive order, I, I think, hopefully will, will encourage tech to coordinate and, and the ISACs and ISOs will, will be rewarded, I hope. You know, there, there's a, an opportunity here. You know, healthcare has led for privacy, for instance, for decades now. And, Forever. You know, if this executive order encourages more of that kind of federal level stuff beyond what's happening at the, at the state level, that's going to be interesting. Privacy isn't, isn't easy. It's hard, which is why big tech is failing at it. It's not just because we are the product. It's also because it, it requires nuance. Well, and, and it's anathema to, to most technologists. I mean, if you grew up in IT, it's how can I open my system? Information should be free. Things should move around. And that's great when I'm doing telemetry off of an aircraft engine. It's a very different thing when I'm streaming your medical records across the internet to some random app somewhere. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah good luck with your S3 bucket, you know, uh, <laughs> or your, your unprotected MongoDB or, or whatever. I mean, the interesting thing about that is is hopefully the, the feds will do it properly. We, we don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit too cynical, but I think if you're waiting for any action at the federal level, you, you'll probably continue to wait. Don't hold your breath. But, you know, the people who aren't waiting are the bad guys, you know. <laughs> They're also adopting these tools. And, you know, as much as we're on the journey to, to like, things like a smart hospital or adopting these, these technologies to, to help the patients, if we don't do it properly, there will be privacy concerns, and, and the bad guys will find that and, and exploit it. Ransomware actors just recently started naming and shaming, right? So we'll see what happens. I certainly think we can do privacy better, and hopefully we can inform some of our colleagues in big tech to do it. We'll see. It'll be interesting. I've been in this industry for 25 years, and the bad guys haven't given up or gone, taken their ball and gone home yet. So I don't. no matter what we do, they're going to do something. Actually, there's something that you said earlier that I wanted to kind of jump on. I'm also a big Dan Gear fan, just FYI. And Dan, one of Dan's concepts that I talk about way too often is the idea of no silent failure. Right. And, and, you know, you talked about about handling ransomware. And I think far too often one of the big challenges that especially in healthcare with, you know, limited budgets and perhaps lesser staffing than than other industries, we tend to tune our alerts down. We, you know, we tend to, to make them too quiet. And I was talking to somebody earlier who had gone through a ransomware incident. And they were saying, yeah, we went back in the logs and there it was, you know, the whole time. But we turned it all down because we didn't have enough people to deal with it. I wondered what you thought of that. And, you know, just in the in the whole no silent failure idea, how do you even manage, especially as you're moving outside the four walls of the hospital with all these care devices and things? How do you get that telemetry? How do you how do you get the visibility you need to do those things? And and what do you see in your peers? Yeah, it's it's an interesting problem. I don't really know if I have an answer to it. I was having like a conversation with, with a colleague the other day, and, and I said how it was almost like COVID was the world's longest PowerPoint slide deck, and we, were, we felt like we were coming to the end of it. But when you were describing the problem space, you know, it was like, well, 
are we repeating what, what Feynman learned in the Challenger disaster where some of these problems exist on slide 25, like a, uh, you know, an eight point font line that, hey, here's this one problem. Oops. You know, how do you get ahead of that so, so that you're not ignoring what, what is a, a, uh, positive hit and the bad guys, you know, if you talk to some of our colleagues in three letter agencies, right, it's, there's kind of two teams doing some of this, or there's the one guy that goes away and, and acts as misdirection. And then there's the other guy that's over here that's doing the real attack. So when you're busy fending off one attack, you don't know that there's something else going on. And I remember that dealing with one of the local Boston hospitals when they were getting hit with anonymous and, and things of that nature. It is a concern. You know, what's hiding in plain sight? You know, these tools sometimes present their own gravity and it's signal to noise is an issue. Certainly what my thoughts are of recent are, are, you know, some ML is better than other ML. <laughs> and usually the, the bad ML is stuff that they're slapping an AI label on and pretending it's, it's intelligence. It's really not. It's really just statistical aggregation. But, you know, if, if you do find one of those data scientists who's good at this stuff, those outliers mathematically can stand out significantly, right? You know, when I talk to, to some of my vendors and, and they're investing in, in behavioral analytics and stuff, it didn't overwhelm the industry as, as we'd all thought that it was the next evolution of SIM. It, it's, it's kind of just complementing it. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're slapping, you know, new labels on it as if it's it new. It's not. It's, it's, in my opinion, just an iteration. But with that evolution, you know, in my opinion, has the opportunity to distinguish signal from noise. The, the problem is, is a lot of us, especially in healthcare, are still dealing with, with basic foundational problems, right? So, yep. you know, getting asset management down properly, get endpoint down properly. But then you, you, if you're trying to align that with a particular industry, you go talk to those ones that have perceived more maturity and they're sitting there going, no, asset management is still difficult in finance. You know, application security is still tough. Those kinds of problems, I, I think, are, are foundational in the security business. And I don't have an answer for you, but, but I certainly would like to think that ML can get us more or in a better position than we are currently. Yeah, I have to introduce you to our chief scientist, Jeremy Richards, at some point. He will talk your ear off. He's he's one of those good ones. He's uh, one of those folks that actually knows how to apply ML in a way that isn't just marketing spin. Very lucky to have him. But there's a lot of marketing around it, and there's not necessarily that many products that are doing it at the level that I think we need to. And I have to admit, I'm a little scared that we haven't really seen the first adversaries that are good at it yet. Well, well, you wouldn't see them, right? It's astonishing the extent to which the recent attacks, like you had said, were, were somewhat done in plain sight and they were overt, right? You know, I've heard from thought leaders like Kevin Mandia and such that different adversary techniques are, are punching above their weight, different countries are, or certain TTPs are, are uh, more pronounced in in certain nation states. But to use your point or analogy from earlier, some of them are not, and, and it's right there, and you just need to do to be aware of it and, and to have the team to look at it. And, you know, you know we'll have to see where we go from here. There, there's, there's a ransomware task force that at the federal level that will come out with some recommendations, you know, things like privileged account management, things like lateral movement and flow analysis and things are, they're not new. They've been around for, for decades. 
So we'll have to see where the federal space takes it. And indeed, if big tech's even going to have time, because that executive order is going to be a huge gift to them. Yeah, for sure. Esmond, thank you so much for coming on. Where where can everybody find you? What what are you up to? And if people want to find more of you, where are we gonna where are we gonna find more Esmond? So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm hoping to get to DEFCON. I'm probably gonna be virtual. The biohacking village is where I tend to ha- hang out a lot. I'm certainly gonna be speaking for, for a couple of other organizations soon, Secure World and Cisco. So, you know, just find me on LinkedIn and, and reach out and hopefully the conversation will, will be beneficial to both of us. Very cool. As always, thank you so much. It's so much fun to talk to you and hear your thoughts and just sort of meander through the world of of your brain. And I appreciate it a great deal. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.